The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now I'm going to make a calculated error here. I'm going to tell you something that you already know and that I don't have to convince you of. No one likes it when things are out of our control. Does, is there anybody in here who would be willing to say, no, I actually like chaos? Anybody? You like chaos? No, I didn't, I didn't think so. See, we all very much enjoy it. Like if you're a parent and you look at your kids and you say, clean your room. We love it when they say, yes, Dad. Yes, Mom. And they go and do it. We love it when we're in those seasons in our marriage when it feels like we never left the honeymoon stage. It's perfect. It's bliss. It's amazing. We love it when we feel absolutely certain of our future. When your five-year plan and your 10-year plan and your 35 and 45 and 50-year plans, when it is all just lining up, everything is falling right into place. We love that. So then, of course, when things start to wobble and chaos starts to weave its way in to creep in like wind through a leaky window, or maybe when chaos just comes to your front door and just kicks it right on down, we start grasping for things, things that are going to make us feel secure, things that are going to make us feel like, I've got this. I can rein this in. I can get this situation back under control. And so I want to ask you, what is it that you turn to when your life is all sorts of topsy-turvy? Do you exercise? Go for a run, a walk, ride a bike? Do you maybe go to food? You know, chocolate, anybody? I'm a chocolate fan. Do you call your dearest friend and, and talk through it with them? You just need a venting session, uh, and they'll, they'll help you out. You open up a journal. You have to write out your feelings, go shopping, grab a pillow, and just scream into it. What do you do when the chaos comes to your doorstep. We know that our world is broken. We know that our world is filled with all manner of stressors. And in the midst of that, we have Hebrews 1.3, part B. What is communicated about the sun here? I want you to understand. It's shining like a lighthouse, perched high up, on a rock overlooking a storm-ravaged sea. 
We're caught in a typhoon, and yet here is this text pointing us to the sun, safely directing us back to the safe harbor that is ours in Christ, the one who is directing the entire cosmos with his powerful word. Now, we've been making our way slowly through the first few verses of Hebrews. And what we've seen is the author impressing upon us how it is so very right and so very good that God has spoken fully, finally, and completely now through the Son. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that He is the heir of all things. It belongs to Him. He has inherited it through His death and His resurrection by which He has redeemed His creation. We see that it is His because He is the one who is the creator of all things. And we've seen last week that the Son is divine. That He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And so He alone bears witness to the glory of God. Reveals fully, rather, the glory of God. And now we come to ten little words. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, when you hear he upholds the word of his power, or he upholds the universe, your mind might go to the song, He's got the whole world in his hands, and now I've got that song stuck in all your heads. (laughs) And that's the last time I'll sing to you. I love y'all, and I won't subject you to that. But, think about it. If you want to teach the truths that are housed in in this verse, if you want to teach these truths to a a two-year-old or a three-year-old, you're not going to pull that child near to you. We'll call him Little Billy. You're not going to pull Little Billy near to you, hold his sweet little hands, look him in his sweet little eyes, and go, all right, Little Billy, now I'm going to teach you about God's providential governing over every molecule in the universe. Because little Billy's just going to stare right back at you like you've got four heads. Now, you're going to take a song like he's got the whole world in his hands, and you're going to sing that with him. You're going to do the hand motions, and you're going to move his little hands along with it. Because you're teaching him big truths through a sweet little song. And what you're teaching him is that this is God's world. He takes care of it. He directs it. And so what you're teaching him about is God's providence. And now you may hear that phrase and you might be like, yeah, yeah, that's totally what I would, I would do. But can you tell me just for a second, what, what exactly would I be teaching him about? What is this word, God's providence? Well, John Piper, um, I found a very helpful definition from him in a book that is conveniently titled Providence. In it, he defines the providence of God as God's purposeful sovereignty. He branches these out, and I think this is right and true. Sovereignty is God's rule, his reign over everything, because it's his. Providence is the fact that God's sovereignty is purposeful. He exercises his rule in a particular way to bring about his design for his creation. 
That's what this verse is pointing us to when it tells us that the Son upholds the universe. He is sustaining all things while also bringing all things to a particular place. But first, before we consider all the aspects of that, we want to focus and we have to focus on the how. How is it that the Son is upholding His universe? Well, look at the text. It tells us that He's doing so by the word of His power. And we look at that and we're like, well, that's kind of clunky. That's not exactly how I say things, so I'm not quite sure what that means. Well, if you have the NIV or the CSB, the Super Southern Baptist, if you've got that, um, I, I like the way that they translate it. Because I think it translates it in a way that better communicates the author's intent. Those read that he's upholding the universe by his powerful word. Say the obvious. His word is powerful. He doesn't have to lift a finger in order to bring about all that he intends for his universe. He just has to speak, and it happens. So, we recognize there's some overlap with what we saw in verse chapter two, or in verse two, that the Son created the world. By the Son, all things began to exist. So now we're moving a step beyond that, seeing that all things continue by His powerful words. All of that to say that everything is always acting in response to his commands. We see some wonderful examples of this in the Gospels. Consider Jesus in the boat with his disciples. Remember, they go out onto the water. This terrifying storm whips up. It's so bad that even these seasoned fishermen are standing in the boat, and they're like, we're dead. Meanwhile, Jesus is in the front of the boat, fast asleep. And his disciples have to do what has to be the rudest thing in the history of things by coming to him just to wake him up and go, hey Jesus, we're about to die. And what's his response? He looks at them says, oh you have little faith. Why are you afraid? Then he turns to the wind and to the waves and like a parent scolding two children who are fighting over a Lego in the playroom, looks at it and says, Stop it! And the wind and the waves obey. Consider Jesus, again with his disciples, out on a boat in the middle of a storm-tossed sea. He sends them on ahead. He's behind them on the shore praying. He sees them from a distance struggling. And he goes out to them. Does he get in a boat and row, row, row his boat? No. He commands hydrogen and oxygen to solidify under his feet. I don't know. To bear up his weight. As he walks on water, he commands atoms and molecules, and they obey. The Son, by His powerful words, speaks in all things that are obey. 
And so we're going to consider then what it means that he upholds the universe by his powerful word in two separate parts. He sustains, and he is also bringing to a particular point. And so the first thing for us to consider is the sustaining work. The Son is sustaining all things by his powerful word. So even this has a couple of different dimensions to it. On the one hand, there's the fact that the Son is uh, holding it all together. You'd say, maybe a better way of phrasing that is that the whole universe is kept by his powerful word. It's continuing to do what he designed it to do. If you think back to Genesis chapter 1, and you're reading through that, you know that over and over again you have the creative utterance of God, his words saying, let there be. And whatever he said, let there be, it be. It sprang into existence. But we don't just read that he spoke it into existence, we also read that he spoke and ordered it. He gave it instruction. The oceans, he formed and then established their boundaries. The plants, he created and ordered that they would produce fruit so that the animals that he would make, the people that he would make, would have nourishment. He made man and he made woman and he uh, commanded them, be fruitful and multiply. This world was created by the powerful word of God and ordered by the powerful word of God. And by the powerful word of God, by the powerful utterance of the Son, it is all being sustained. And it's true, though, that we live in a world that is in bondage to corruption, as Paul says in Romans 8. And so you may say, well, I look at the chaos in the world around me, I look at all the things that I see on the news and I hear with my ears that disturb me, that bother me, and dear me, it does not look at all like things are being sustained. I don't see order, I see chaos. But despite our best efforts to change the created order, we don't have that power. It still requires a man and a woman to have a baby. The sun continues to give off light and heat. Plants continue to grow fruits and vegetables. Stars continue to shine brightly in the night sky. Why? Because the sun causes these things to do as they were created to do, and he does so by his powerful word. Right now, without even thinking about it, you're breathing in oxygen. Except now you are thinking about it because I told you you're doing it. But you're sitting there, you're breathing in oxygen, and it's traveling down into your lungs where it's eventually going to make its way and is making its way through your alveoli. And from there, it diffuses into red blood cells where it bonds with hemoglobin. I'm not this smart. It's all right here. I had to look it up. And so it then proceeds to be moved all throughout your body as your heart pumps, beats, pumping your blood throughout your body so that it may be supplied with oxygen-rich blood cells. And the sun governs every single aspect of that. He tells the hemoglobin and the blood cells 
and oxygen bond, and they bond. He commands the protons and the electrons and the neutrons that comprise oxygen to stay together, and they do. He commands the bone marrow that produces the stem cells that turn into the red blood cells to do, and they do. Every step in the process of every breath that you take is governed by God the Son's all-powerful Word. It happens because He says. I want you to consider Lazarus, Jesus raising him from the dead in John 11. See, we come to that, and we go, all right, He raised a man from the dead. You don't really have to say anything else about that because He raised a man from the dead. Dead people just don't get up out of the ground every day except for the select few days in human history when they did, this being one of them. He commands the dead man to rise. But not just that, he had been in the ground for four days. And not only had his body begun to stink, as his sister told Jesus, his body had stiffened and grown cold. There wasn't oxygen that was getting in and out of him. His brain was dead. It was not working at all. But at the powerful word, at the command of the Son, the neurons in his brain began to fire. His heart began to beat and pump blood throughout his body. His hemoglobin on his red blood cells began to latch on to the oxygen that was pouring into his lungs because it was all working again. His muscle fibers began to twitch and relax, and he began to move. Every single part of him began to do what it was created to do because the one who created it said, Lazarus, come out. But there's more to his upholding than things just continuing to do what they were made to do. All things continue to exist because he is upholding all things by his powerful word. We have let there be, and now it's as if the Son says, let it continue to be. If he stopped upholding oxygen, oxygen would be gone. If he stopped upholding red blood cells, red blood cells would be gone. If he, up started, if he stopped upholding me and you, we would not fall over in the few dead. You would cease to exist. You would be no more. There is nothing in all of creation that exists apart from the Son's powerful Word. If He does not will it to be, it will not be. And, and so as you start wrapping your mind around that, I hope you can see why it is good that we would stop and spend a whole Sunday on just one little phrase. He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Consider what this says about our dependence on Him. We know that we're dependent in our best moments, we do. Know that we're dependent on Him to provide for us. We stop before a meal and we thank Him for the food that He's put in front of Him. But do we ever stop and think about the fact and reckon with the reality that we are dependent on Him for our very being. But then do you take that a step further and consider on the reverse side of that, He is not dependent on anything for His being. 
If he ceased to uphold the universe, it's all gone. It all ceases to exist. He would remain. His existence does not depend on anything. He simply is. And he always has been. And he always will be. Paul speaks to this in his defense of the Areopagus in Acts 17. He says to them, to us, in verses 24 and 25, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This counters the deistic argument that says that God is not involved in his creation. Maybe you've heard that before, the deistic argument that describes God like he's a divine watchmaker. You know, the watchmaker assembles all of the parts, or creates all the parts, and then assembles them together in the watch, and then he winds the watch up and puts it off and steps away from it and lets it just go on ticking, doing what it's supposed to do, what he made it to do. See, this text makes it abundantly clear that God has not abandoned his creation. God has always interacted with his world. He has spoken to his people, and he has now done so through the Son, who not only sustains all creation by his powerful word, but as the word incarnate took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Son came in the likeness of man and lived among us in full obedience to the Father. He taught with his words the standards, the values, the heart-level affections that make up citizens in the kingdom of God. But he also displayed what the kingdom would be like. Because in his powerful words by them, he commanded demons to leave. And all they could do was beg, please, don't send us into the abyss, send us into the pigs. And they went because he said. He commanded diseases, be gone. And particles healed, dissolved, left. Cells were repaired. All because everything responds to his powerful word. It does exactly what he says to do. And then, the Son, who came into the world that he had made, who ordered atoms and molecules and particles to do his will, and they did just what he said, who could have called for a legion of angels to descend and to fight for him, instead, shut his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. He gave himself over to be crucified, and he died under the wrath of God to take away the guilt that we have incurred through our own sins. And then in power and glory, he rose from the dead, securing peace between God and his people 
forever. And through His death and resurrection, the Son makes a new creation. At His command, hearts are awakened to spiritual realities. Blind eyes that could not see the truth are opened to our desperate spiritual state. Ears that were deaf and could not and would not hear now hear because the sheep of the shepherd hear his voice and they come when he calls. Minds that were dumb and didn't understand the truth now know and believe the good news of Christ crucified for sins and raised from the dead all because he commands it with his word. Our mouths that refused to give him praise, confess sins, and express allegiance to Christ as Lord. Because he commands. And also, by his word, those for whom he died are kept. Not just in existence, but kept in the love of God. Christian, your salvation is secured by his blood, and you are held fast through his all-powerful word. You cannot sin your way beyond it, nor can you earn and keep your position in his love through your good deeds. You are held fast in the salvation that he won for you at the cross by his word. Rest in this good news. Which points us ahead to the second part of his upholding work, which is that the Son is bearing along all things by his powerful word. Now, when you hear that he upholds the universe, you, maybe you remember or, or see in your mind's eye, you picture Atlas, not an Atlas, Atlas the Greek god who puts the world on his shoulders and by his strength holds it in place. That's a cute party trick. But the sun, his work in upholding all things is not like that of a false god. See, the sun doesn't need brute strength. Sure, he possesses it in waves if he needs it. But he simply upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he doesn't just hold it stationary. The idea that's behind the word that's used here for upholding also has this connotation of bearing it along, carrying it to a destination. I want you to remember you know, a few weeks back when Michael preached from Hebrews 1.1, you know, he explained to us that what, what the text is, is getting at is that God formally spoke through his prophets about the redemptive work that he was in the process of accomplishing, that he would accomplish, of what was to come, promises made. But now through the Son, he has spoken fully, 
He has spoken finally. He has spoken completely through the Son who accomplishes that redemptive work. Promise is kept. And so, by the word of His power, the Son is bearing the universe to the point where the fullness of His redemptive work is experienced for all of eternity. Right this second, in every single second, He is doing hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of things, and you and I are maybe aware of half of one. But despite our ignorance, each and every single thing that He is presently doing as He upholds the universe by the word of His power is chalk full of meaning. Nothing is meaningless. Everything is being guided by His voice to the day of judgment and redemption. Consider a few examples here of how the Bible speaks to this work of the Son. I mentioned earlier that creation presently is in bondage. But Christ is bearing it along to the point when the skies are rolled back like a scroll and the present heavens and earth pass away and the new heavens and earth comes. We read in Romans 8, 20 and 21, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, Satan has freedom to tempt and to torment. He and his demons are given some measure of leash to blind, to confuse, to mislead the world. We read that Satan is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. They have leash to afflict God's people. And yet, we read that even as the Son has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame through his cross, he is also bearing all things to the point when the end comes. And as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, you and I struggle with sin and temptation. We're free from its power, and yet so often what we find is that we want to desire to do good and struggle to even, to des- even to desire what is godly. And even when we desire to do what is godly, we find that we end up doing that which we do not want to do. But by the power of His Word, Christ is bearing us along to the day when the weakness of our flesh is no more, when the perishable takes on the imperishable, and all of our sinning is put away once and for all. Now, we mourn the loss of loved ones, even as we face the reality of our own impending deaths. But Christ 
is bearing all things to the point where death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And as He promises us in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things passed away. Now, there is opposition to His rule. There are countless millions who refuse to confess Him as Lord and trust Him for salvation. But Christ is bearing all things to the point, whereas Paul writes in Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This begs the question, do you refuse Him? Do you refuse to submit to His Lordship, to His rule, to His reign? If so, you need to understand that He is bearing all things by His powerful Word to a point when you will, at His command, confess Him as Lord. The muscles in your tongue belong to Him. Your voice box belongs to Him. And while you may say, I would never bow before Him, look at all the things that He does in this world. They don't belong to you. They bend to His will. And on that day, they will submit to Him, and you will confess that He is Lord. But on that day, it's not a saving confession. That is a day of judgment for you. And yet, He is gracious. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. And He grants life to every sinner who turns to Him, trusting in Him alone for salvation. So if that's you, come to Him who gives you life and who gives you breath and who gives you every good thing. Now, Christian, I want you to consider again all the chaos that is in your life. Work trouble, difficult marriages, Defiant kids, scary doctor visits, financial stress, uncertain futures, loneliness, failing health, rude neighbors. You know, these things can come at us in waves. So much so that sometimes it feels like the dam that was holding it all back has burst. And our house was sitting right there at the foot of that dam. And the water has just run over us like a torrent. And we're gasping for air, water pouring into our lungs, desperately grasping for fragments of our home to hold on to because we desperately want something, anything, that will keep us afloat in the midst of the chaotic waters whirling around us. And that's where our, our exercise, our chocolate, our vacations come in for us, don't they? So often, our first instinct is, let me grab on to that. Because I'm desperate for something. 
anything that will give me a sense of control. If I just go for a run, then I can calm the storm inside my soul. I can, I can rein it in. If I just get out of town for a few days, don't have to think about this, don't have to look at these people, I, I, I can catch my breath, and then I, I've got it. But we need to think about what's behind those thoughts, what's behind those actions. It's, it's this feeling of, I've got this. I can get things back under control. I, I just need a minute, and then I can rein it all back in. And then another surge of water comes and pushes our heads back under. See, there's an individual component to this, but there's also a corporate component to this. I, I was reminded of this in, from Tom's building block, something he taught on uh, just a few weeks ago. You know, corporately, we can be just as guilty as we are individually of this way of thinking, right? We can look at one another when we know, you know, someone is going through a hard time, someone's facing difficulty, the chaos is all about them, and we can pat them on the back, and we're well-intentioned, but unfortunately unhelpful. Because we pat them on the back and we say, you've got this. You can do it. You know, tighten your bootstraps, buck up. You know, put on a smile. You can handle this. You're big enough, you're strong enough, you're pretty enough, and golly gee, people like you. You can do it. In both cases, individually and corporately, we so quickly forget how frail and weak we are. By the grace of God, life is not always chaos. It may seem like it sometimes, but it's not. Sometimes you're advancing in the workplace. Your marriage is thriving. Your kids are doing great. Your future never seems more secure. And that's when pride and boasting starts to creep into our hearts. When we feel like, hey, yeah, I've got it. I've got everything under control. And in that moment, it's really easy to stop and go, look at me. I'm excelling this life thing. It's like I've hoisted the world onto my shoulders and I'm carrying it along with my wisdom, by my strength, and by my abilities. And human history is filled with example after example of individuals who failed to grasp uh, this truth, who felt like that the world was firmly in their hands only to watch everything go to pot in an instant. Consider Alexander the Great. You know, possibly the greatest military general of all time. Certainly of his precise day and time he was. He's conquering people left and right. The borders of Greece are expanding throughout the region. He's not losing to anyone. His great empire is building under the feet, at the hands of, in the feats of strength of this 20, 30 some odd year old man. And then, what scholars are pretty confident happened, particle carrying either malaria or maybe typhoid fever, both of which were rampant there in the great city of Alexandria, Egypt makes its way into his body, and he's dead in his early 30s. And what happens to his great empire? Torn apart, 
by four generals and eventually conquered by the next Babylon that comes along. You and I we're never in control. Ever. Even when it seems like things are going good, even when it seems like we've got it, that's an illusion. It's fake news. We so easily forget that all it takes is just one phone call, one deformed cell, one late night knock at the door by the police, one meeting, and our whole world is upended. Then we're quickly reminded and rather roughly, that we are not in control, and we don't got this. But the sun is not caught off guard by the things that you and I call chaos. See, understand this. They are not chaotic to him. This whole world is held firmly by his word. He commands all things, controls all things, sustains all things, and moves all things along with a purpose. The one who looked at the raging storm and said, Stop it! That's the one. He is the one who is really in control. And that's good. Because he is good. When he finally brings all things to that day, your present stressors and all the difficulties, there'll be no more. And we can and we should and we must rejoice in the hope of that day. But there's even more to it than just our anticipation of that moment. Because the sun upholds the universe by the word of his power, your chaos is not meaningless. It is meaningful. Now, I want you to understand me very clearly. To say that it is meaningful is not the same thing as calling it good. The tragic accident, the terminal illness, the unjust boss... These things are not good, and we ought not to call evil good. But the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, he is good, and his intentions in all things are good. This is why Joseph could say to the brothers, his own flesh and blood, who had sold him into slavery when they came groveling at his feet. What you meant as evil against me, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. The chaos is meaningful. It's intended for good by a good God who works all things together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. Every single second of the chaos is governed by the Son who loves you deeply, which you know because he came into this world to suffer in your place, to make you his very own, to save you from the wrath of God because of his love for you. And so then, the chaos 
is part of His purposeful sovereignty. He intends it for your good as He bears you along to glory. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4.17, saying, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we can be sure that this is true. We can take this to the bank because every single part of His creation responds to His powerful Word. He can make a promise as big as that because He is the one who is ensuring, who is seeing it to its completion. He's not kept from doing anything that He purposes in the same way that He is not dependent on us or anything at all. He's not learning and He's not adapting in real time like you and I are. Instead, He orders and He directs everything by His powerful Word as He brings redemptive history to the very moment when we see Him face to face. This means that that you and I aren't left out in the cold when life hits us like a flood that threatens to pull us under at any moment. Consider 1 Peter 5-7. There, Peter says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Christian, He cares for you. He wants you to come to Him with all those chaotic things. And we can do so in complete trust and confidence that He can actually do something about it. He commands atoms and molecules and particles that are in the deepest reaches of space. He cares for the strangest creature at the bottom of the deepest crack in the ocean. He is able to bring good out of your chaos. So trust Him. He's good. That doesn't mean everything will magically improve, of course. The boss may fire you, and you may have to pick up two, three part-time jobs in order to provide for your family. Your kids may hate you, and they may never come back and say, I'm sorry you were right. The cancer may take you, but the sun continues to uphold the universe by the word of His power. He is bringing you and everything else along till the very moment where we see Him face to face, the one who is the anchor of our souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness, for Your mercy, for Your kindness in Christ. We give You praise for your power and your might by which you control everything from the smallest atom to the largest mountain to the deepest reaches of space. All things bend to your will, doing precisely what you say. And oh, how great the comfort is for us in that if we will just believe. But we are weak and we are frail. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to cling tightly to these truths that we may rest in the powerful word of the Son who loves us and gave himself up for us. Help us, Lord, we pray. 
Amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.